0: Today we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, and it fits very well right in there. So we'll be focusing on that one. Um, The worship team sang beautifully about the silent night, and it's a reminder of what happened on that silent night with the angels gloriously filling the sky and proclaiming the birth of this child, a new baby. And that was a glorious one. The passage that we'll be looking at today is another one. Another one of God's revelation. The revelation that he performed, revealing the birth of the king, of kings. But this time, revealed not to the Jewish uh, shepherds, but revealed to the magi. People, men who who lived far in the east, about 2,000 kilometers away from Jerusalem. And so we'll be looking from from that text. So as for the reading of the word, may I ask us to stand as we read the word of God. This will be Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one? who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you once again that you have given us this privilege to sit at your feet and hear from your word. I want to thank you for all of us who have come here this morning. Thank you that you have privileged us to do that. And I would like to pray for those who are, not, who are not able to come here for a number of reasons. Maybe even with the sickness, with COVID, and other things. We pray, Father God, that your presence would be with each one of them and their families. Ask for your blessing on each one of them. For those who need healing, we pray that you would put your healing hands on them. Those who need to be strengthened and comforted, we pray that you would do exactly that for them. And we pray for our pastor, Pastor Steve, Father God. Father, we pray that you would be with him and his family at this time of celebrating Christ together as a family. I ask for your blessing on them. So I pray and ask that you would be present with them. And we commit this time into your hand and invite you to be present with us here and take all the glory in everything we do. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated, please. <clears throat> So as we look at the text for today, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, I would like you to take to look at this framework as we go through it. What we'll see is, we see God's revelation of the king. We see God's revelation of the king. God, in His wisdom, He reveals the birth, the coming of His king. With God's revelation of the coming of His king, It's expected, those who receive that revelation, the recipients of that revelation, they need to respond in a certain way. And that response can be in three possible ways. It has to be with the recognition of the king, recognizing the king. And the second response is desiring the king. And finally, is worshiping the king. So we'll look at this text with this framework, God's revelation, the need to respond to that revelation, and response could be in three ways, recognizing the king, desiring the king, and worshiping the king. So as we go through it, as we understand the text, reflect on your own life as well and see how the Lord is going to speak to you through that text. It's a text that we all know. Let's begin with the first two verses, verse 1 to 2. This is what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Let's begin to look at the magi. Who are these magi that came from the east? The magi... These were astrologers and priests serving in the courts of a Persian king. They were learned men, and they were familiar with the Jewish scriptures. Since they lived in Persia, and several years ago, Israel, Judah, was taken into exile, They lived in Persia, and a number of them returned back home after the exile, but there were so many of them that remained in Persia. Now, these people, the Jewish people that have settled there, of course, they had their scriptures, Jewish scriptures, and the Magi, being the learned people, the priests serving in the courts, they were familiar, they were familiar with the Jewish scriptures, They knew the prophecies that were there in the Scriptures. They knew the prophecy of the coming Messiah that the Jews were waiting for. Of course, it's not only from the Scriptures, but the Jews themselves, they have been waiting for this Messiah for almost seven centuries, and they're talking about this coming Messiah. The Messiah, our Redeemer, is coming. So the Magi knew knew of the coming of a king, a messiah that would come. And it's in the midst of this that God, in His sovereign way, He brings forth, He sends forth the star. And this being the astrologers who read the stars, they saw this unique star. We don't know what kind of star it is. People explain it in different ways, but it is a star that God placed out there in some way. And when they saw the star, they were able to make the link. Again, we don't know how they would be able to make the link between that star and what they knew about the king of the Jews, the promised Messiah. But they know that the king of the Jews is born. They saw the star and they knew the king is born. Now, this is God's miraculous way of doing it. Miraculously, he revealed in his wisdom, he chose to reveal this truth to this Magi who had no relationship with the Jewish culture, with with the Jewish God, Yahweh, but God chose to reveal this to them. They saw it and knew the birth of the king. Now, seeing that They didn't just say, oh, yeah, there's a king that's born, born somewhere far out there. And they didn't just continue with life as it was. But instead, they had this desire within them that they needed to go. They needed to go see this king. Not just see the king, go and worship the king. Now, I don't know how many of you would say, if you hear a king is born somewhere far out there, if you hear it, if you would feel like, I need to go. Would you feel the urge to do it? We won't. Why then would these people be urged to do it? Except God has shown them that this king is no ordinary king. And he has placed within them the desire to see the king. And so they begin making that preparation. Preparing to travel the 2,000 kilometers to see the king. Now when they came, they came within the context In what context did they come? The scripture tells us in verse 1, it says they came after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. That means they didn't come to the manger necessarily. They didn't come on the night Jesus was born. They came after Jesus was already, he was born. And so it was after a few weeks have passed since Jesus was born. But then Matthew adds to us also that he, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea. He could have just said, after Jesus was born, while King Herod was king. But instead he says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, because he wants us to see, he wants the readers to see, Jesus comes from the lineage of David, from David's kingdom, from the David's line." So he, he shows us that Jesus is no unique king. He is one from the line of King David. The second thing we see is he came, they came, the Magi came, at the time when Herod was the king. Herod, what kind of man was he? Who is Herod? Herod is a non-Jew person. He was appointed to that place as a king by the Romans. When the Romans came and conquered all Palestine, which included Israel and Samaria, the, the, the Romans, they take Herod and they made him the king so that he would, he would do the task, he would do the work, he would do the, the bidding of the, the Romans. So he is there to perform the things that are pleasing to the Romans. Therefore, he subdues the people. Keeping them quiet so that they will not be a headache to Romans. They would, he would collect the tax and send it to the Romans. And therefore, you can imagine King Herod was not very favorite among the people. He was not favored among the people. But not only that, he knows that he did not rightfully belong on that throne. He knows he did not deserve that place. He was just put there and therefore he was very insecure. He was insecure about his position. And with insecurity, he becomes a ruthless person who has murdered lots of people. People are afraid of him. In fact, we're told he killed his favorite wife. He killed two of her children. He killed his eldest son. He killed many others, uncles and all that. So he's known for that kind of person who's so insecure and because of insecurity, he would kill and murder anyone who would be a threat to his rule, to his position. Now, it is in this context that the Magi come and they come to Jerusalem and they come to him and what do they say to him? They say, Where is this child that is born king of the Jews? We saw his star and we have come to worship him. Now you would think, how would he respond to this? Herod, who is insecure about his position, who would have killed anyone who would threaten his position, how would he take this news, these people who are coming, saying to him, we have come to worship The king of the Jews. The king of the Jews is born. Now, I'm actually impressed. I'm impressed with King Herod. I'm impressed that he was able to contain his anger that is boiling within him. Because we don't see him calling the guards and saying, execute them, kill them. Because that's what you would expect. And that's probably what he would have done. But that's not what he did here. Let's see what he does. Let's look at verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he heard the Magi saying that, he was disturbed. Of course, of course he would be disturbed. Because these guys are telling him bad news for him. Telling, they are telling him, you have another king. So he was disturbed, he didn't want that. But it's not only him who got disturbed. It tells us it's also all Jerusalem. Now, what that could mean is all Jerusalem people in Jerusalem, it may show us the spiritual state of the people in Jerusalem. But it could also be telling us something about the people in the courts who are serving in the courts of the king. Maybe they are the ones who are also disturbed. And why would they be disturbed? They could be disturbed for two possible reasons. One possible reason is their benefits and their privilege is tied with King Herod. The removal of this King Herod threatens their benefits and their privilege, possibly. Another possibility is they are disturbed because they're worried. What is King Herod going to do? Knowing that King Herod is an angry person who does, who's, who's not reluctant to kill anyone, how would he respond? What would he do to us? So it's possible that they got disturbed by all that as well. So there was a disturbance. But then they were not only disturbed. Let's read the next part there. Right after that one, verse 4 says, When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born now notice what he's asking he calls the teachers of the law and what does he ask them he's not asking them do you guys know anything about what these people are talking about do you guys know anything about a king of the jew that is born here he doesn't ask that instead what he asks is where is the messiah going to be born Herod is making the connection. Herod is making the connection. The king that is born, the king of the Jews that is born, that is revealed and declared to the to the Magi, was the same one that was promised, and the Jews have waited for a long time. He is the Messiah. Herod recognized. He recognized that that king is the long-awaited Messiah. you will notice the teachers of the law, they didn't say, okay, let's, let's, let's go search the scriptures. Let's go find out what the scriptures say as to where this Messiah is going to be born. It was immediate. The answer is immediate. They will say, oh, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophets have written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means less among the rulers of judah for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people israel so the connection is made herod has recognized that the child is the messiah the ruler of judah the shepherd of israel the one who has the right to the throne of david but then how would herod respond he recognized that this king that is born is the long-awaited Messiah. He's the Messiah that the Jews have waited for for so long. He is going to be the king. He's going to be the ruler. He's going to be the shepherd of God's people. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Now, why is he doing that? He's trying to find out, he's thinking in his mind how he's going to destroy this child that's born. And so he asked them, "Show, tell me, when is the first time you saw the star? And in his head, he's making that calculation. And then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Now you notice that the the Magi, they've traveled thousands of kilometers to come to Jerusalem because they have heard, they have seen from God that there is the king of the Jews that's born. But then we don't see Herod or the people in the courts or even the teachers of the law, we don't see them saying, okay, we got to go. We have heard the news that the Messiah is born. We have to go and find him. We have to go see him. You don't see them making preparations to, to travel the six miles to see the Messiah, to see the king that is born. You see the contrast between the Magi and this one. We have the Jews here who may be teachers of the law there who are hearing this but we don't, they don't make any preparations. But we have the Magi who are willing to travel that far to come here. So the Magi traveled thousands of kilometers to see the king of the Jews. But we do not see the eagerness of the King Herod or the teachers of the law to go and see the king. We are not told if anyone from among the teachers of the law or anyone in the palace were interested in doing that. It is possible that they did not hear the news from the magi? We are told that Herod wanted to keep the news a secret, and hence he called the magi secretly, and he tells them to find where the, magi, where the child is born. Now, when, when King Herod comes back to them and says, Okay, the child is born in Bethlehem. He is in Bethlehem. Now go, go and make a careful search. And once you find out where the child is, come back and tell me so that I'll go and worship him. Now the Magi, coming from such a distance, they had no idea as to who Herod actually is. They didn't know that he is a ruthless person who was willing to kill anyone who threatened his, his throne. I don't know if they would have come to him if they knew his character, if they knew he was that kind of a person. So when he says, please go find out and come back so that I can go and worship him, they might be thinking, this is an amazing king. He wants to go and worship another king. Little did they know that he is planning the destruction of the, the, the Christ. And so in verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the, the star that had, they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So something that we see in this part is something about the star. So when they saw the star while they were still in the east, they saw the star and it appears that it has disappeared. And then they had traveled to Jerusalem. Now why did they travel to Jerusalem? They traveled to Jerusalem because they know the king of the Jews is the one that's born. If it's of the Jews that's born, of course you expect that king to be born in the capital city, in the capital. And of course, you would expect that king to be in the palace because the king, kings are born in the palace. So with that assumption, without the leading of the star, they have traveled, they have come to Jerusalem. But once they finished with the king, when they came out, the star comes again. And they are overjoyed at seeing the star, and the star now leads them to Bethlehem, leads them to the house where the child is. So, this is a unique star. It's a star that appears and disappears at will, as led and guided by the sovereignty of God. And so, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Verse 11, on coming to the house, you notice, on coming to the house, they come to the house. They are not coming to the stable. Okay, they come to the house. So, by this time, Jesus would have been a few months old, and by this time, they have moved house from, they have moved away from the, from the stable, and they have found a place, a house where they are living in. At some point during this time, they've traveled to Jerusalem for the dedication of the Lord Jesus at the temple, and they have come back here again to Bethlehem. So they are in Bethlehem, they are living in a house, and they see Jesus, Okay, you notice what it says. Okay, they come, and what they see is they see a child with his mother, Mary. Again, we see that they're not seeing a baby in the manger. But instead, what we see here is the child. And what do they do? They come to the child and they worship that child and they take out the the gifts and they have three gifts that they are offering this child in worship. That's the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold, they say, it represents something to do with the king and the frankincense is something that is used by high priests in the temple And, and myrrh, I was not able to say this word properly this morning. To embalm, something like that. It is, it's a perfume that is used for a dead body when they, when they do the preparation for the dead body. So when they brought those gifts and they presented it to Jesus, expensive gifts, they brought it as an act of worship to Jesus. They probably didn't mean what all those things represent. But God, in His sovereignty, is revealing to us what Jesus is actually. What Jesus actually is. Jesus, in them giving the gold, they're saying Jesus is the king of all the kings. In presenting the frank incense, they're saying Jesus is the greatest high priest that we have one who stands between us and God, one who intercedes for us, one through whom we gain access with God. And in in presenting the myrrh, it is showing that Jesus is our Savior, that you and I would experience salvation, the forgiveness of our sins through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Magi, they probably had no idea what this is. They brought the best gift that they have and presented it to Jesus as an act of worship. But behind this is the sovereign desire plan of God to show us what Jesus actually is. So they presented those gifts, and they acted in worship. So going back to our framework, they received the revelation of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of the King. And they responded to that revelation. How did they respond? They responded by recognizing the King. They recognized this is the King, the King of the Jews. But then they didn't stop there. They had the desire for the king. And out of that desire for the king, they traveled that many distance to come to see the king. But then they traveled and they acted in worship. So they worshiped the king. After they did that, the God, through dream, he warned them not to go back to Herod because Herod desired to kill the king, the child. And so they traveled home. So they traveled home on a different way in obedience. Now, one thing we learn is in, in up to that time, Yahweh related with the Jews, Israel, as his people. But now we see something new. Now we see that being broadened. Now we see Gentiles from the east having the privilege of coming and worshiping King, the King King Jesus. Now through this we see that God is including, grafting into the family of God those who were far off. Now through Jesus, God is showing, declaring that through Jesus, now those who were far off, they are brought into the kingdom of God. Paul says this in Romans chapter 9, verse 23, beginning with verse 23. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. So through this, he is showing us, he is revealing to us That the kingdom of God has broadened to include all those who were at one time far off from the kingdom of God. But now, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are brought into God's kingdom. So you and I who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have chosen to trust him as our king, as our redeemer, as our savior, we are brought into his kingdom. We are members, parts of God's kingdom. So now we ask ourselves what then would be our appropriate responses to this revelation. God, in His wisdom, He has revealed His Son to you and I, and that's why you and I are here this morning. In His unique way, and I believe the different ways that you and I have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a miracle. Just the way the Magi saw that and recognized that King was born, was a miracle. I believe the way you have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a miracle. It is not your own doing. It is God in his his graciousness, in his wisdom. He has come and he has revealed the Lord Jesus Christ to you so that you would be able to acknowledge him as your king. There are many out there who have not come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not because they are sinful and we are righteous that we have come to know Him. It's not because any of us are any righteous that we have recognized Him as our King. But because God has chosen to do that miracle, and I would like to praise God for the miracle that He has done in my life, in each of your lives as well. So you are here this morning, and you have recognized Jesus as your King. You have acknowledged Him as your King, and we give praise to God for it. Amen? Are you, do you praise God for that? You know, sometimes we forget, but then God has done an amazing miracle in your life. May He continue to do that even in our children's lives as well. We continue to pray so that He would do that. But then that's one place, and that's a wonderful place to be in. But then we move to the next response, and that is desiring God. Yes, you and I may have acknowledged him as our king, but the question for you and me is, do we continue to desire him? Do do we desire him as our king? Because that's an important response for us. We have to desire our king. Now, unfortunately, these days... Life becomes hard. Life becomes difficult. And there are so many other desires that come and fill our hearts. And as all those desires come and fill our hearts, the desire for God is one that is driven out. So I wonder if there are many things, things in our lives that are driving out our desire for God and they are replacing our desire for God. So we pause and ask, yes, I praise you, God, that you have Allowed me to know Christ, you have allowed me to acknowledge Him as my King. But then to what extent am I continuing to desire you? To what extent am I showing the desire of God in my life? Or have I allowed some other things to drive that out? You know, King King Herod, he did recognize, he did recognize that King was the Messiah, but he had a problem with desiring this messiah. He didn't want the Messiah to come because he felt the Messiah, that king, will take away my position, will take away my rule, my throne, and therefore I'm going to protect my throne. And in doing that, King Herod ended up being not only pushing Christ, but he ended up being the enemy of Christ. Why? Because he had something that he wanted to protect as his own. Now, it's possible that sometimes we have things that we want to protect. We feel like it is something we really like, and you know what? If I make Jesus my king, then I'm going to lose that. He wants to deal with it. He wants to take away from it. And therefore, we protect that. Sometimes those things are sin that we enjoy, and if we surrender that to God, then I will lose that thing, or even other things as well. So is there something that we're holding on to so much that we are keeping Christ at a distance, and our desire for Him goes out? So, my prayer for me, for me, as well as for all of us, is that God would grow that desire within us for Him, that we would yearn for him we would desire for him we look forward to know him to draw him into our lives to bring him into our lives but then the third response is the act of worship the the magi they came and they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh i don't think we come with gold here or frankincense or myrrh we don't do that necessarily But then there would be other ways that you and I would come to worship God. And what we're doing this morning here as we have come together is our act of worship. As we come here, as we sing praises to God with songs, we're worshiping Him. As we give a part of what He has given us, as we do our offerings, we are worshiping Him. As we serve in different places here, we are worshiping Him. But then if that is all our act of worship then I would say that's not necessarily enough. It should also include the other parts. Maybe even our time alone with God. To what extent do we have that time alone with God? To what extent do we protect that to be with Him where we can just speak to God and be able to hear from God. Be able to pour out our hearts, our love for Him. Because that is also our act of worship, the time that we have ourselves alone with Him. But then, you know, when you invite people into your house, when you invite people into your house, you will take them into the rooms that is most impressive, right? If you are like me, that's what I do. I don't take you into my bedroom, which is not made up. I take you to the room that I have nicely decorated. Sometimes we seem to be doing, we, I think we tend to do that with God as well. We invite Him to a part of our life which seems to be good. I'm doing very well. God, I'm doing very well in my offering, in my gift. I'm generous. See this part, God? Aren't you pleased? But then I keep the way I relate with my life, with my wife here, my marital life, my life in the house, or my, the way I do my work, my job. And so we keep other things away from God and we just allow God into certain places. So our act of worship is allowing God, inviting God into all, all parts of our lives. Allowing Him to rule in those places, saying, God, I give you all this and I want to worship you in this. So may the Lord help us to open up our places, our hearts, every part of our lives and, and all of those ones to be Our act of worship towards him. So the framework, God has revealed his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the savior and redeemer of our lives. When we have received that, it's expected that you and I would respond. We are listening to it. We hear it from the word of God. But then we are to respond to it. And how do we respond? My encouragement is for us to respond in three possible ways. One is to recognize Jesus as our King, to recognize Jesus as our Savior, one who has died on the cross on our behalf. The second one is asking the Lord Jesus, God, to give us the desire for Him. And finally, to respond to Him in worship. May the Lord help us to do that. Now you notice this. Let me say this and then we'll we'll finish up. When you desire God, you want to worship Him. When you worship Him, when you spend time with Him, then your desire for Him also goes up. These two, they play together. You you don't have a desire, you don't have a worship life. It will be fake. Your desire and our act of worship, they go hand in hand. So may God grow that for us. Let me pray for us. God, our Father, we want to thank you. Thank you for your grace that you have poured on each one of us. And you have poured it in abundance. That because of your grace, all of us here, we have come to know you. We have come to acknowledge you as our King, as our Savior, as our Redeemer. And we thank you. And I pray, Father God, if any of us are struggling, struggling with our desire, if there are other things that are driving out the desire for you from our lives, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us. We recognize that your scripture tells apart from you we can do nothing. We cannot create that desire within us by ourselves. And so we ask, God, you would give us a growing desire in our hearts that desires you, that seeks you. I pray, Father God, in every part of our lives, you would enable us to respond to you in worship. If any of us struggle with our time alone, I pray that you would help us with it, strengthen us with it. If we need people who would come along with us, I pray that you would give us the right person who can come and help us with the walk with you. So we thank you for life you have given us in Christ. May we continue to walk in a way that's pleasing and honoring to you as well. If there is anyone here this morning, Father God, who has not come to acknowledge you as king, to acknowledge you as the Savior, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would tie their hearts, especially during this season, a season that reminds us the expression of the greatest love that you have shown to us through through sending your son Jesus. I pray that they would see Christ, And they will be drawn to you as well. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.